Awesome. Well, how are we all doing this morning? Good. Good. Everyone good? Yeah. How many of you told a lie just then? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Good. It's good to tell lies in church. Um, you know, we do that. We do that a lot, don't we? Sometimes. You know, we um, come in here and uh, we put on our best church face um, because it's church time. And um, everyone needs to know you're doing well because you're a Christian and, you know, God is so good. You should just be good. And that um, and you don't want anybody to know that perhaps you're struggling or perhaps you're not doing well. And um, and so we come in here and, and we put our best foot forward and we tell everybody, you know, I'm good. I'm good. And um, so that's why I asked you this morning, like, how are you actually doing? Like, are you actually good? Um in the in the in the truest sense of the word, are you at peace in your soul? Are you are things between you and the Lord genuinely good, or are they tenuous? Are you feeling energetic and enthusiastic for life and the things that God has for you, or are you presently weary, uh, perhaps a bit burdened, uh, distracted, uh, disappointed, um, frustrated? feel like I've reached the end of my, my adjectives. <clears throat> this morning, this morning, I um, don't quite know how to start this. No, normally, normally when we stand up to preach, you know, we normally have a text, you know, which is a good safe place to be in most instances, is to have a text in front of you so that even if you, you know, you lose your place or whatever, you can just kind of go back to the book and just go to the next line and go, well, we'll just talk about this for a minute until I regroup my thoughts. But this morning, I don't, I don't have a singular text to actually share with you. See, this, this morning, I just want to raise your awareness um, and, and perhaps um, yeah, bring to your attention uh, some things that, that perhaps been happening in your life and um, that you may have been feeling the effects of but may not have been aware of why. These things have been going on. You see, um, this week I, I've had a, a very, very strange week, very strange week indeed. I, um, I had a, a beautiful time of prayer and worship on the north side on Monday evening at, at, at P&W. And if you ever have a chance to get up there um, and worship with those guys, I would definitely recommend it. But I had, I had this beautiful time with the Lord on Monday. And it was just, it was one of those moments, it was one of those, the, those evenings where it's almost like you, you, you climb the mountain the proverbial mountain of the Lord, and the air is so clear up there, and it's so fresh, and it's so um, life-giving. Um, it throws the rest of your life into contrast, and um, and uh, and I realized in that moment that that I realized in the, uh, on Monday evening that, that perhaps I'm I'm not doing as well as as what I could be or what or what I really desire to be. And one of the things that the Lord was speaking to me about was was uh, on Monday evening was, was simply recovering recovering vision and recovering, you know, those things that he's, he's placed in my life and in my heart, things for me to do, things that he has for me. Um, and, and so I had this beautiful experience on Monday night, and then it was just like by Tuesday, I had this cloud just settle in. There's just this cloud settled in over me for several days. Um, and the thing, about, the thing about, you know, uh, when the enemy attacks, often... Often when we think, well, the enemy's going to attack me, what he's going to do is he's going to come and he's going to kick down my door in the middle of the night with a gun, and that's how the enemy's going to assault me. And, um, and perhaps 
that is the way that the enemy manifests sometimes. Sometimes he will just come in a very brunt, uh, brute force, direct way, and it's just so obvious that it's like, well, that's the enemy. That's, that's the kingdom of darkness at work right there in that moment. But often, often what, <laughs> what the enemy will do is he'll come in subtly. Is he'll come in and just, you know, like a cloud slowly drifting as it covers the sun. And before you know it, you realize you're not experiencing the sun the way that you used to experience the sun. Things have grown a little bit cold and, and things have gotten a little bit dark. And, and it's almost so subtle that you kind of missed it happening and you didn't, you didn't notice the change. You didn't notice the shift. And I realized I was sitting under this, this, this cloud of, of uh, anxiety and fear um, and accusation for about three and a half days. Um, and, and it was just like, and, and, and even, in, even in moments, I was like, man, this is, man, this is really hard to just kind of push through. Like, is it, I'm feeling a bit despondent, a bit hopeless, all these sorts of things. And, and then, it was just, I think it was Thursday evening, it's like I realized, oh, this is a spiritual attack. Now, I say that to you, like three and a half days, you're a pastor, you should know better. I say that to you because sometimes I don't know better. Like I said, it's so subtle. It's so subtle. I, I you know, I, 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 you know, for, for the longest time I struggled with depression. And so depression almost feels like a default or natural state for me, even though I feel like God has actually broken um, depression in my life. Um, it's it, it, like, and I don't generally get depressed anymore, but it's like almost like depression can kind of slip in and just like a revert to old ways. I'm like, oh yeah, this is normal, you know. But the reason why I say that, the reason why I say that and why I'm being, trying to be open and honest with that is because often, often, you know, firstly as, as a man and secondly as a leader in the church, we are um, particularly tempted to always need to be strong, to always need to be strong um, for everyone around us, it's this cultural expectation as a man, especially as a man in a church context, if you're a pastor in a church, you need to be strong for everyone else's sake, particularly because you know, you know about everybody else's struggles. You know how everyone else is struggling, and you don't want to be struggling alongside them. You want to be strong for them. You want to be able to lift them up out of their, out of their muck and mire. You want to be able to be a source of encouragement, a source of hope for them. <clears throat> but the reality is, the reality is that, that is not always the case. The reality is, is I'm as weak as any of you. And part of what God is, is doing for me in this season is, is pushing me more and more to a place of weakness. Now, it seems counterintuitive, but it's not counterintuitive when you understand his kingdom and you understand his ways. He's pushing me and he's pushing his church towards a place of weakness so that we will remember what it is to rely on his strength so that we will remember what it is to rely on his strength. Yeah, I remember it was, I was trying to do, like in these last couple years have just, like in terms of like chronology and remembering time has just done my head. And I, it took me about 10 minutes to kind of work out the chronology, but it was, it was, it was over two years ago now. I remember when we had just gone into lockdown for the first time we just gone down in lockdown for the first time. And I was standing in, we, you know, Tienes and I, we were, we were in the boardroom at, at Frosty Boys trying to work out sound and acoustics. And we did that awful, you know, acapella um, hymn. And um, my wife was, well, afterwards was like, what were you doing? I was like, hey, 
hey, I told Tianus it was going to be bad. He thought it would be good, you know, and he's normally better at reading these things than me. But, <laughs> but I, I, remember, I, remember, I remember preaching. I remember preaching that Sunday um, with nobody else in the room except for Tianus, you know, sitting off to the side, um, preaching, like looking at the camera, trying to, you know, recalibrate for not having people in front of you. And, um, and I, remember, I remember one of the things that I genuinely felt like what God was doing in this season, and I had no idea at the time that this season would last as long as it has. And I, I would still say we have no idea how much longer we actually have in this season. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that I genuinely felt like God was doing in this season was that he was applying pressure to the church. And he was doing it in this way. The, the analogy that was brought to mind was this. I remember one time I, I was having an issue. It was on my shoulder or my back or something like that. And I, I have a friend who's, a, a, who's a, a masseuse. And I remember he was working on my back one time, and he found a knot. And what he had done to, to get the knot out was, was not like gently, you know, sort of go like that. He, he got his elbow, and he, he stuck his elbow into the knot. He stuck his fist into his shoulder, and he just dug his elbow in. And he says to me, tell me when a pain gets to a 9 or a 10. <laughs> and so I let him go till it got to a 9 or a 10. And I'm like, okay, all right, is it, a, is it a 9 or a 10? Like expecting him to do something magical, right? At that point, he's like, now let me know when it stops. <laughs> let me know when it stops hurting. I'm like, what do you mean? You've you got your elbow in my back. <laughs> And sure enough, after a minute, minute and a half, it was like the muscle just released and all the pain went away. So weird, so counterintuitive. And yet it was this analogy that I felt like the Lord had given me for this season that what he was doing in the church was he was applying pressure to certain areas and certain portions of, of, of who we are as his people because there's a, we don't walk right. There's certain parts of, of who we are as the church that are misaligned, and there's certain parts of us that are walking with a limp because we've been so holding on to certain things, and, and, and through wounds and hurts and schemes of the enemy, we've gotten tripped up, and, and parts of us are all knotted up and hung around certain things that God needs to apply pressure in order for us to let certain things go, to release certain things so that he can bring us into alignment. He can bring us to a place where we walk rightly before him. And we're still in that season, and we're still doing those things. And so <clears throat> it's my desire to try and be as weak and vulnerable in front of you as possible, um, <clears throat> even though I don't want to be. Um, it's important for you to see it so that when you're feeling weak and vulnerable in your life, you don't feel like you're alone or like that somehow you're deficient. You are deficient, you know. I thought I was supposed to get encouraged. You know, <laughs> I was feeling deficient, and the, the pastor came in and said I was deficient. It's like, well, <clears throat> but God is able to take your deficiencies, and His weak, in, in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. He's able to demonstrate His strength with our weakness. God delights in demonstrating His strength in our weakness. He loves to use situations that seem hopeless and people that seem useless or, or, or deficient. And he loves to step into those situations to demonstrate his wisdom, to demonstrate his power, to demonstrate his strength. And so, <clears throat> all that is to say, normally I have a text that I'm working out of. And I can normally feel very safe 
around it. Um, but I don't have a text this morning. Um, but hopefully, the Spirit is speaking through it, and the Spirit is at work here in this room. I believe He is. I trust that He is. Um, I only say that as a preface to say that if my words or my, my speech is far rougher than what it normally is, it's because I don't have a text in front of me. And you say, well, Patrick, your, your speech is always rough, and your face looks like a drop pie. That last bit was unnecessary. Okay. I thank you for your grace ahead of time. <clears throat> you know, it's so interesting. You know, Elliot was talking about how story is so important to who we are as, as human beings. Um, as, much as, as much as perhaps the Enlightenment has, has tried to relegate um, the transcendent to being meaningless or purposeless or, or stories are just stories and fiction is useless. Only what matters is the facts. The reality is we are all living out of a story. There's a story we believe that we are living out. That's why we love movies. That's why we love good fiction novels because we're able to immerse ourselves in a world where we're the hero, where we're doing something meaningful, where we're doing something significant. <clears throat> And you see, I, w- I want to I couch this morning's comments, this, this, this morning's sermon, within, within the broader context of, of God's story and what he's doing in humanity. You see, humanity's story is, is up until, you know, this point where we're at right now, a pretty tragic one. You know, for those of you familiar with the story of Scripture, we, we start off in the, in the very beginning. God creates this beautiful, good world, this place of order, this place of flourishing, this place of life. And he, and he takes mankind from the dust and he breathes his breath of life into their nostrils. And, and, he, and he makes us to be his image bearers. He, he gives us purpose and he gives us this meaning and he gives us this life. And, and he gives us a reason to exist. He gives us a, 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 a vocation to to multiply and to subdue the earth, to make it a place full of his presence. But we know how the story goes. We know that the enemy, this, this enemy comes along in Genesis chapter 3 and immediately begins to undermine the good work of God, begins, immediately begins to undermine the good things that God has for his creation. And, that, and that's where we fall. We, as, his, as, as human beings, were made to be his image bearers. We're made to be good and to do good in the world, to live with a sense of purpose and meaning, to, to walk with our Lord in the cool of the day. And yet the enemy came in and began sowing seeds of destruction, began sowing seeds of rebellion. And we, in our naivety and our weakness and our foolishness, followed after him. And because of our sin, we left the garden. We could no longer dwell and abide there. And the story of scriptures is tragedy after tragedy as mankind falls into tr- the traps of sin. Mankind falls into violence. Mankind falls into debauchery and all these sorts of things. And, and then we receive this Savior, the Savior who is who has who has come to redeem us from the kingdom of darkness. This this ultimate good news that the God of all creation has not abandoned mankind. No, far from that. Far from having abandoned mankind, the God of all creation, his desire is to be with 
his people. His desire is to be with mankind. That's why um, in the opening one of the Gospels, he's called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And we, we receive this good news that God loves us, that he cares for us. And he demonstrates his love for us in this, that even while we were sinners, even while we were living in the kingdom of darkness, even while our hearts and our minds were under the sway of the evil one, where, where all of our thoughts and our deeds were, were corrupted by by sinfulness in the flesh and all these, even though we were in our ignorance, we didn't know any better. We were living in rebellion against a good and holy king. He came for us anyways. He came for us because he loved us. He overthrew the principalities and powers that had us enslaved. Poured out his own life in exchange for ours that we might live. And he calls us to a new identity. He calls us to no longer understand ourselves as children of Satan, but as children of God. Which is a radical shift in thinking. It's a radical shift in thinking. God has called us to live in a new way. Called us to live according to this new identity of being born again and being a child of God. The problem is, the problem for us though is that often we forget. Often we forget who we are. I'll ask you again, are you doing good? You know, you know instinctively the answer should be yes, right? You know that the answer should be, yeah, I'm doing great. I'm a child of God. I know what my Savior has done for me. I know who my Father is in heaven and the love that he has for me. That reality shapes and changes me to such a degree. It changes everything about who I am and how I live. I live in victory because I understand the authority that has been given to me because I am seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. You understand instinctively that that should be your response. And so it's almost with a sense of shame. We fashion for ourselves garments of fig leaves when we tell people, yeah, we're good. We're doing fine. You know, I probably told half a dozen of you that lie this morning. <clears throat> this morning, I, want, I believe God wants to call us to that place of remembrance. Part of that is going to be exposing the schemes of the enemy. And I've got three, <clears throat> three areas here where the enemy comes in, and this is not an exhaustive list, but three areas where the enemy comes in and begins to sow disillusionment, forgetfulness, all these sorts of things. It's, it's almost like, it's almost like you, you know that movie, um, Born Identity? Yeah, roughly? You know, you know I'm a cool pastor because I'm referencing a movie that's over 20 years old now. All right? <laughs> It's, fi it's finally hit Christian relevance. <clears throat> you know, next thing you know, I'll be doing a gospel presentation from The Matrix. Um, <clears throat> but, um, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but it's just like, is this guy, for those of you who don't know the story, there's this guy, and he wakes up, he wakes up one day, and he doesn't know who he is. But he's got these weird instincts, like he's really good at fighting. And he's really good at spycraft, and he can't figure out why he knows these things or why he 
can do these things. He's, he's a man who's lost. He's, it's this whole struggle to remember, to recall, to find out what actually happened to him so that he can actually, you know, he, he just wants to kill everybody in the end. But like as in, he, <clears throat> that's not the point. Of the, don't do that. That's not the, <clears throat> you know, God wants you to remember who you are so you can go. <laughs> it's the, it's the, <laughs> but the point is, is, he, is he's suffering from this, um, oh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Amnesia. Thank you. <clears throat> he's suffering from this amnesia. <clears throat> and oftentimes, even after we come to the Lord, even after we, we, we turn from sin, we turn to Jesus, even after he's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his wonderful light, <clears throat> the enemy somehow, because he's so cunning and sly, is able to begin sowing things into our hearts and our minds that causes us to forget, almost like, like a charm or, or an enchantment that begins to put us back to sleep so that we'll forget so that we'll forget. And my desire here this morning is to expose some of those things so that you can acknowledge them, be aware of them, and stand against them. So the first one is this. The enemy, the first thing we see the enemy doing in Scripture is he speaks words of doubt to cause us to distrust God. He sows seeds of doubt to cause us to distrust God. Oftentimes, when God has spoken to us, he, you know, if, if He's given you a particular vision for your life, or if He's, he's called you to a certain thing, or, or anything like that, it, in the moment when God speaks to you, it comes with such a, a clear revelation, it seems so right. And it's like, yes, I know that this is what God has called me to. But then you walk out the door the next morning, and already the enemy is at work trying to dislodge that seed, dislodge that revelation of truth from your heart. And what the enemy will come along and he will do in the most subtle of ways, whether through, through words whispered in your ears or through circumstances and situations that would lead you to believe that what was said is not true, he will see, sow the seed of, did God really say? Did God really say that to you? Does God really have? Surely not. You know you. Surely God wouldn't want to do that with you. Surely God, surely God misspoke or you misheard. And while I am very much a believer in what Paul says, not despising prophecy, but testing all things and holding on to what is good, there's a time when our testing of things and our indecision on things and our our weighing of things is really just a disguise for doubt. It's a disguise for unbelief. That's the first thing that the enemy will try and come along and do. He's so words of doubt to cause you to distrust God, to cause distance between you and the Savior, to cause you to distrust your ability to hear his voice. The second thing is this, distraction and seduction. Distraction and seduction. If he can't get you to distrust God, if he can't sow cynicism into your heart towards God, he'll come along and he'll come along with distraction and seduction. And that's not nearly as lurid in most situations as what maybe you're thinking. All of a sudden, you'll find yourself being bombarded by situations and emergencies that need your immediate attention. You'll find yourself being surrounded by things that need your focus, that take you away from the things that God has called you to do. 
If he cannot get you to distrust God, he will distract you. He will distract you and distract you and distract you. Be mindful of things that have come into your life that seem very important, that seem very uh, much like you're duty-bound to do something about, about things that require an inordinate amount of your attention, but in reality are nothing but distractions. Now, I'm not saying all things in your life are those things, but be aware, be aware, sometimes the enemy will stoke the ego of our own self-importance by giving us really important things to do that we were never called to do. Finally, seduction. The enemy will come and start hanging shiny baubles all around you. Just giving you exciting other things that you could be doing. Exciting other things you could be interested in. I know with my personality type, what this looks like is a, is, is a rabbit hole of information about something, about some random stuff. I remember one time my wife came home, and she's like, what are you watching? I was watching a YouTube clip. I'm like, I'm, I'm watching a video on how zoning laws in Arizona affect climate change. <laughs> she's like, why? I'm like, because don't you want to know? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> And, and my, my, one of my constant things is there are so, I can find rabbit holes anywhere. You could concrete, you could concrete the whole lawn. I would find a rabbit hole in that concrete. I tell you what, I love rabbit holes. And yet, and yet, I know I need to be very careful. And I am not nearly as careful as I should be. The rabbit holes are often a distraction And often knowledge for me is a seduction. I want to know everything about everything and how it works. My wife doesn't understand that. She's like, so long as it works, why do you care? I'm like, because you got to (laughs) know. Like, you got to know how it works. (laughs) The last one, uh, the, the third one, I shouldn't say the last one because I said the list wasn't exhausted. The third one is this forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. You know, <clears throat> I was trying to think of, of a of a good illustration. You know, um, apart from apart from our general experience, that you know we feel like sometimes God will call us to something, or He's like, "I want you to do this," or "or this is something that's really important and a really important area I want you to focus on right now." And 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 then the general experience of sometimes you find yourself like a month or two down the track, and you're like, "Whatever happened to that thing?" Whatever, whatever happened to that thing that God called me to? Man, he seemed pretty insistent in that moment that I deal with this area of my heart. Huh. Why did I, why did I deal with that? The, um, <clears throat> the uh, great example I could find is from, um, is from Narnia. Um, C.S. Lewis is a, um, one of the books, um, probably one of the less famous ones, called The Silver Chair. And um, in The Silver Chair, uh, it's, I believe it's Prince Caspian. Has been captured by has been captured by this uh, queen of the underworld, and been placed in this silver chair, and um, <clears throat> and he believes when he's tied to this chair, he believes that he is that he is um, going to overthrow Narnia because Narnia is evil and, and all this sort of stuff, and and the kids find find um, Caspian, and they're like, aren't you Caspian? Aren't you king of Narnia? 
Aren't you, aren't you supposed to be the king of Narnia? He said, no, 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 no. But every night at midnight, he would remember. It's like the spell would break, and he would remember who he was. And at that time, they would always have him bound and tied to this silver chair so he could never do anything in his moments of clarity. But it's, that's what it's like with us so often. So often the enemy comes along and is able to enchant us, enchant us with distraction, enchant us with forgetfulness, enchant us with, with almost anything else in the world except for what God has called us to do, what God has spoken to us about. He enchants us, and we have the forgetfulness. And what he does in this forgetfulness is he begins to bind us. He begins to bind us with things we've committed to, bind us with sins, bind us with cynicism, bind us with a whole bunch of things so that even when we have those moments of clarity, when we go, oh God, I've been off track. Oh God, I, I, I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to have been doing. I, 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 I need to get on. We're bound by those things and it's incredibly difficult to break free in that moment. And I trust, I trust that the Holy Spirit is at work speaking to your heart right now, highlighting, highlighting to you areas of your life where this has been a reality. <clears throat> and so... The next thing I want to talk about is recovering that identity, recovering that identity that God has given you, that the enemy has sought so hard to undermine, that has sought so hard to steal away from you. So I've got some snapshots of things that you need to remember about who you are, that the word of God tells you is true about you. The first one is this, you are loved and chosen as sons and daughters. You are loved and chosen as sons and daughters. Some of you, myself included, have not let that revelation sink in deep enough into your heart. You are loved as sons and daughters. You are loved not because of your ability to perform. You are loved not because of your gifts and abilities. You are loved not because you're good looking or you come from a good family or any of these other things that we often give to the world as justification for why they should love us. You are loved by God without qualification. Some of you need to internally remind yourself of that reality every single day. I am loved by God. And when the enemy comes along and says, well, how can you be sure? How can you be sure that God really loves you? You're an idiot. You can reply, God demonstrates his love for me in this. While I was a sinner, he died for me. You know, it's not often anyone would give their lives for somebody else. Perhaps maybe a good man, a good person, someone would even dare to give their lives. But not for someone like me. And yet God did that for me anyways. Could there be any, any greater demonstration of his love? Like I, I know, I know 
often the attitudes of our heart is we want God to come through in every situation in exactly the way that we want him to come through. And there's a part of us that just needs to relinquish those things to his wisdom and his ways. But we need to remember, he loves us. He loves you as sons and daughters. You are chosen by him. The second thing you need to remember is this. God is not only aware of your situation, but he has plans to prosper and to bless you. He is not only aware of your situation, but he has plans to prosper and to bless you. It's important. It's important that that truth reside here at the forefront of your mind. Because if you lose that, if you lose that truth, then you lose hopelessness. Sorry, you lose hopefulness and you become hopeless. You become unable to see the situations around you as being able to be resolved. You you begin to lose the ability to begin to see God's hand in everything that's happening around you. When you approach the world with the assumption that God is not only aware of my situation, but He loves me and He has a plan for my prospering. He has a good plan to turn all things for good. When you can carry that hopefulness around with you at the forefront of your heart and your mind, I tell you this, you are able to begin to see God's hand at work because you assume his hand is at work. When you lose that truth, you begin becoming cynical and God could be pouring out his blessing on you and you'll miss it because you don't have the eyes to see. Thirdly, You have been forgiven and washed clean. Shame is not your portion. Shame is not your portion. You need to be reminded of that, sometimes regularly. You see, the Scripture tells us that we have an accuser of our souls. There's an accuser who goes around, and he keeps very detailed, very good records of everything you've done wrong. And when you've forgotten sometimes what you've done wrong, he's more than happy to remind you. The reality is, when you've come to Jesus, the great Savior of our souls, we come to him by faith. He accepts us freely, and he says, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. When you bring that sin out into the light, he says, not only are you forgiven, but I will wash you clean. This is John chapter 1. I will wash you clean of all iniquity. And so your relationship with God is not inhibited or encumbered anymore by guilt or shame because of what Jesus has done. Now, the truth of that reality is sometimes difficult for us to live out of. Because again, the enemy, when he can come in subtly and begin sowing seeds of doubt, and he puts that distance between you, he begins to disen- he begins to enchant your mind, get you distracted, get you unfocused, get you forget who you are, get you to forget who God is. It's very easy for him to come in then with the hammer of shame and to begin re-prosecuting things that God has already dealt with by his blood. 
You need to remember you are forgiven and you are washed clean and shame is not your portion. Fourthly, you need to remember that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places and have access to heavenly authority to silence the accusations of the enemy. You know, a lot of people, and I know this is, this, is, this is true of me for a very long time, a lot of people are taught, are taught that we are sinful, wicked human beings. There's a truth to that. We're taught, and almost implicitly, well, that God is up there, and he's the one who has all authority. And, and we, are just, we are just beggars. And we just, we just need to beg for God to move. We just need to beg for God to, to do something. Perhaps, maybe he'll do something in this situation because we are so unworthy and we're so, so unable. And, and the, the thing about it is those things I've just said are kind of true. You're not worthy in and of yourself. We do come to the Lord as beggars, accepted freely by His grace. But the truth of the situation is He calls us sons and daughters. And as my son knows, because he freely exercises his authority to go to the pantry and take whatever food he thinks he likes, (laughs) is that there is a freedom in my father's house. And that there are responsibilities and there's authority that I will sometimes grant to my son. We have the same thing with our heavenly father. We are now seated with him in Christ in those heavenly places, which means that when situations arise in our world, when situations arise that we know run counterman to the kingdom of heaven, when situations arise when we know run counterman to what God's desire is for us, We need to remember that we do not need to anymore be ruled by this world. But that we can come in the authority of Jesus Christ. We can come in the authority of Jesus Christ. And we tear down strongholds. We demolish those thoughts. We demolish those situations by the power and authority that is in Jesus Christ. And that, I think, is probably one of the most challenging things for me to remember. Because we've gotten so good at suffering. We've gotten so good at just being helpless. That we've become contented with that as our portion. And I believe that God wants His church to move into a place where we are not full of ourselves. Where we're not cocky where we're not headstrong, but move to a place where we are assured of the authority that comes with being in Jesus Christ. And in our weakness, seeing God's strength and power and authority being put on display. So that at a word, we speak and demons leave. At a word, we speak and broken bodies are made whole. When we recognize the schemes of the enemy, when we recognize the work of the kingdom of darkness, this is what what Peter says to to Cornelius the centurion in, in, I believe it's Acts chapter 10. 
He says, you know, Cornelius, about everything Jesus did, how he went around healing all those who were oppressed by the kingdom of darkness. Peter draws a direct connection between healing and the kingdom of heaven. A direct connection between sickness, illness, brokenness, and the kingdom of darkness. <clears throat> we need to remember that we are seated in Christ, with Christ in heavenly places and have access to heavenly authority to silence the accusations of the enemy. <clears throat> and then finally, finally, I, I want to, <clears throat> I want to finish on this. I, I want to, I want to finish on this. It's a sober warning. It's a sober warning. You know, so often the pastoral heart just wants to build people up and, and encourage and strengthen. And that's what I hope to do this morning. That's what I'm hoping to do this morning. That's, that's what I'm aiming at. But also sometimes, sometimes a warning needs to be issued. A caution needs to be issued. You know, throughout the New Testament, there's warnings and there's cautions that are given to God's people about their hearts growing cold. You see, <clears throat> we've talked about we've talked about a, a lot about how the enemy's at work, and there's these schemes of the enemy that he's come along to bring distraction, to, to bring seduction, to, to bring forgetfulness, to to to, to, to distance, draw, uh, wed, put a wedge between you and God, and, and cause all that distance to take sort of place. And we've talked about it. We've talked about it in such a way that you might be tempted to leave here and go, well, that's all. That's all his fault. That's all Satan's fault. I'm a helpless victim here. And in one sense, you are. In one sense, you have been victimized by the kingdom of this darkness. But in a very real sense, and I want you to lay hold of this this morning, you are a human being made in the image of God who has, by virtue of who you are, been given a will. And you are held accountable and responsible for what you do with that will. Now, your will may be weakened and corrupted by sin. Your will may feel like nothing at times. You may feel like a smoldering wick or a bruised reed at times. But the Scriptures still give that warning. Still give that warning about growing cold and doing nothing about it. In Hebrews chapter 3, he says this, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily, while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. You see, often we're victimized by Satan. We're victimized by the kingdom of darkness. But sin has a hardening effect on us. And we're responsible for how we respond to that. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He picks up this analogy of the story from the Old Testament about the people of God who had been liberated from Egypt. They've been freed from slavery in Egypt. And God was in the process of bringing them to the promised land, but it took longer than what they had hoped for. The path was not as lavish 
as what they may have liked. And there was a portion of those people, those people who had faithfully come out of Egypt following God, following the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, who allowed their hearts to grow cold. The coldness and backsliding of the heart led to resentment of the Lord. Resentment of the Lord leads to questioning and despising His ways. Now, I think there's a healthy questioning, a a desire to understand His ways. But there's there's a, a difference between a healthy questioning and a cynicism. Despising His ways leads to rebellion, and rebellion leads to destruction. I'll say it again, the Lord does not snuff out a smoldering wick and he does not crush a bruised reed. The clearest revelation of who God is is revealed in Jesus Christ and that is who God has revealed himself to be, the kind, gentle shepherd who is able, who is able to see into your heart, to see exactly where you're at. And so if you're a smoldering wick this morning, if you're a bruised reed this morning, if you've just been so beaten down by life that you feel like you're just clinging on to Jesus for dear life because you've got nothing left in you, I want you to know that He is holding you. He is supporting you. He is sustaining you even in this moment. But not everybody is like that. You see, we're only able to judge the outward veneer. The author of Hebrews will say later on in in chapter 4, he says, For the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. So this morning, this morning, if you find that your heart has been growing cold, Let this be a moment that arrests you in your backsliding. You may have all the legitimate reasons in the world. And God, the God, the judge of all the earth, who will do right, understands all the legitimate reasons in the world as to why your heart may be growing cold in this moment. But don't let that be an excuse to let the backsliding continue. Don't let that be an excuse to let the coldness set in. Don't let that be an excuse to let resentment and cynicism set in. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart against what the Spirit is calling you into this morning. God has great plans and a great hope and a great future for each and every single one of us. And we need to be careful, especially in these times, especially in this season, where it seems like everything is being shaken, Everything is being tested and weighed. Some things that we felt were very certain and very sure have been found wanting and are crumbling before our very eyes. The situation, the season that we find ourselves in is quite very much apocalyptic. It is revelatory in its nature. As God is judging the earth in this moment, He's evaluating 
He's sifting. He's assessing things. And he's desires to bring his people through to their rest, to the good place, to the still waters, the green pastures. I want to encourage you to be aware of the schemes of the enemy in this season. Aware of how the enemy has been at work in your life. And to hear the voice of the Spirit this morning calling you to tenderness, calling you to renewed intimacy, calling you back to himself. And if you've just been going great this whole season, amen to you. I'd like to invite the worship team back. I'd love for you to stand, if you're able. So what we're going to do is this. We've, we've run, you know, a little bit late this morning, and that's okay. But what we're going to do is this, is, um, is I really want to have a time of ministry to just be, have space to pray for people, um, people who recognize that they've been struggling in their own heart, <clears throat> to recognize perhaps there has been some coldness there, some resentment towards the Lord, perhaps some cynicism for whatever reason. I don't stand in judgment for you for any of them. But I just want that time of ministry. And so what we're going to do is if, 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 um, if you feel like you're done, that's perfectly all right. You want to head to the time of fellowship, tea and coffee, you can feel free to go out. Um, we just ask that uh, you would just go out these doors and around into the cafe area. This space in here, this space in here we're reserving for those who are, who are, who are doing business with the Lord. So please no chatting. If you find yourself chatting, please go out into the foyer or into the cafe area. We want to leave this place as distraction-free as possible. <clears throat> I want to invite the prayer team to come forward as well. Um, and so the worship team is just going to lead us in worship. And like I said, if you've got to go, you got to go. May you go in the blessing and favor of the Lord. May his face shine upon you. But if you need prayer, if you need someone to just minister to your heart, you need the Holy Spirit to touch you, I want to invite you to stay. I want to invite you even to do more than just stay. I want to, I want to invite you to come forward, to take that physical step of faith. Because sometimes, I, in, it's been my experience, that sometimes, and I love living in my own head. Understand, there's no judgment here. But I love living in my own head. I've, I've noticed that there is sometimes a difference. There's something different that happens when I begin to engage my physical body in an act of faith. And what that might look like for you this morning is getting on your knees before the Lord, laying prostrate before the Lord. It might actually be just coming forward not even to receive prayer, but respond. Respond to the Lord this morning. Don't let it just be a good idea. Respond to the Lord this morning. So I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to worship, <clears throat> and you're going to do whatever it is you're going to do. And I trust that the Holy Spirit's going to be at work. And so Holy Spirit, we know that you're here, and I ask that you would begin if you haven't already, begin working on people's hearts, highlighting things. Giving us fresh revelation of who we are. 
in you, Jesus. That we would echo Paul's prayer to open the eyes of our hearts to more fully understand the riches of the glory that is in Christ Jesus. 